Now, are there more Guy Fox masks in the Purge movies than this one, <laughs> or less? Well, I'm going to talk about eco-terrorism. Got too excited about jorts. I'm leaving now with my Roomba or your blood on my hands. I'm back. Back on my bullshit. What is meme if not airhorn persevering? No, this is this is not a family show. And I quote, many American titties. Why'd you have to bring Dane Cook to this, Andrew? No one wanted that. Oh, you guys are not ready for what I've got today. And I've apparently hit the very end of my attention span. Give me like 30 seconds. I'm looking for rhymes. Hi, everyone. Kyle here. Uh, before we get started today, I just wanted to give everyone a heads up that this episode is about the graphic novel V for Vendetta, which is a very violent story. Um, and it starts right off the bat with um, threatened rape, as well as um, racial slurs, homophobic slurs, anti-Semitism, pedophilia, medical experimentation, uh, torture, uh, concentration camps, and other violent things that go along with telling a story about a fascist state. Um, if none of those things are for you, we absolutely understand, and we will see you next week. Um, we just wanted to give you that heads up before we got started today. Hello, and welcome to Debate This, the show where no one is right, but someone is definitely wrong. In this show, we take time out of our busy adult lives to talk about comic books, video games, and how when a work of fiction makes depictions of the future based on the conditions of their present time, and then some of those depictions come true, it's not prophetic, it's just unfortunate, and maybe good writing, but mostly just unfortunate. <laughs> but Kyle, the Simpsons, the Simpsons can tell the oh future. <laughs> Once again, Matt, it's not prophetic, it's just unfortunate. Um, gang, it's time for another flavor text. This week's edition is brought to your earballs thanks to pa patron Discord username Nathan LV, who wanted we to hear earballs now? <laughs> we're doing, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't sign off on earballs. We're doing five. we're doing yeah, earballs now. Sorry, everyone. Uh, um, who wanted to hear me give the DT exclamation point FT treatment to another seminal graphic novel, V for Vendetta? Woo. Okay, I'm Thanks, not gonna Anthony. lie. This one time, I wrote DT. I read DT exclamation point FT is foot. Uh, which I thought was pretty funny. Wants to hear me give the duck foot treatment. The duck foot treatment. Well, the DT feet is our calendar that comes out at the end oh. of the year. So that's a very different thing. Todd is making that on his own time with his own feet. Um. <laughs> you wish it were just my feet. The, sorry, Todd. The Photoshop trial ran out. <laughs> um. So V for Vendetta is a graphic novel in both senses of the word in that there are graphic de graphic depictions in it and um, it's a hefty chunk of text. So And in that it's a novel concept about living in a fascist state. That will totally not happen. Um, Whoops, sorry. <laughs> did I spill the beans? You did, might have spilled the beans a little bit. Um, so I will not be. I will not be going on this venture alone. Joining me today in our revolutionary work are Todd Verwurig, Thomas, Matt Virtue, Victorious Cole, and Andrew Vaudeville Henderson. 
Anyone? No notes. No notes. No, Good. I mean, I, I've seen the movie. I get it. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I know. I know your. I know your next question. Uh, so I'm saving what I have to say until then. Okay. We've all seen V movies before, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, they're they're all chapter titles, and the whole all the chapters yeah. of V for Vendetta start with the letter V because it's a theme. Alan Moore does themes. Um, so, guys, what do you all know about V for Vendetta? I can say that I know more about me for Vendetta than I did about One Piece. But still, <laughs> but still not a lot. I think I saw the movie once, and that was like it. I I checked the box to understand the, the societal references. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I don't think I'll be the last person to say this today, but I saw the movie in high school. I thought it was really cool when it came out. <laughs> I've since seen it again and think it's fine. It has its <laughs> moments. It's definitely very 2004. Um, also, my best friend in high school is obsessed with it. Good. Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, like most, have also, as as a white man, seen V for Vendetta. Um, I do think I've only seen it once, though, and I didn't see it until, like, the pandemic. It was in my... Oh, wow. my oh. When we were in lockdown, and I was... Huh. I should consume every piece of media I've never seen before. I should catch up on things. Yeah, V yeah. for Vendetta is in that box, but I also had a friend in high school who very much enjoyed the movie, so I got most of the references, but I didn't know until we sat down to record this that there was a graphic novel. I thought it was just a movie, Same. of which I will oh. say that Natalie Portman put on a, a master class in acting, I think. I think that's a really good Natalie Portman movie. Yeah, Natalie Portman's yeah. very good in the movie. Um, so as we've mentioned, V for Vendetta is a graphic novel that was in, um, written in 19, started writing in 1981, um, was turned into a movie in 2005. We will talk about the movie at the end of all this, um, written by Alan Moore, um, comic book wizard, druid, and, and recluse, um, illustrated by David Lloyd. Uh, more you may recognize as the author of other well-known comics and graphic novels such as Watchmen and Batman the Killing Joke. Um, Lloyd has illustrated other comics, including a run of Doctor Who comics from the 80s and some post-Neil Gaiman Sandman anthologies, but nothing in his, um, in his resume stood out like V for Vendetta does. It's kind of his biggest work. Okay. Alan Moore, the photo of him on Wikipedia, looks like he is a famous old, like famous. He he looks like the man who told us stars existed. Like <laughs> he he looks he, he I, looks like the man who walked oh, in, does. who who like who foretold a tragedy was about to befall a business <laughs> a village, and so they painted him on a wall. Like that's what this man looks like. Alan, Moore, I encourage everyone to seek out some interview with alan moore because he is both like holds the two truths at the same time both in insane like definitely not not tethered to reality and has a very firm grasp of the world and its conditions and and the the evils killing us all um fascinating like figure he looks like if Rasputin, instead of uh, yeah. inventing aspirin <laughs> and taking over the Russian monarchy, if Rasputin decided to, um, you know, get super, uh, get super, uh, 
into uh communism and well i guess rasputin well no nope. yeah. it actually fits yeah <laughs> yeah he's kind um, of one, he's very rasputin-esque one of the two men pre- uh, predicted a fascist state the answer might surprise you <laughs> if, have we ever seen them in the same place at once yeah if um, i say call the, them a druid so that's, yeah that's, <laughs> yep that's true mm-hmm. If I um, say the name Vermin Supreme, does that yes, mean anything yeah. to you guys? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Vermin Supreme and Alan Moore both cut from the same cloth. Andrew, you can Google that on your own time, bud. I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> Andrew not knowing who Vermin Supreme is is a little surprising. It's a me. little surprising. Yeah. Well, someone, yeah. um, this will be a good time. Um, go to our Patreon, this... join the join the highest tier, and wait three months, and then someone commission us to do a flavor text oh, on yeah, Vermin this, Supreme. This man is very much my jam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man, I would love to do a Vermin Supreme flavor text. <laughs> Patreon.com slash debate this cast, please. Um, back to the topic at hand. Uh, v for Vendetta's first issue was published in 1981 in Warrior, a British comith- comic anthology series. Um, similar to whatever publication uh, Demon Hunter was first uh, published in that Andrew told us about. Um, similar similar type of... Um, Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer. What'd I say? Demon Hunter. That's fine. Um, yeah. Similar type of publication where, like, a bunch of different comic books, like, issues will be put into one zine and go out. Um, and it eventually did well enough to get its own spin-off comic. So here we are with cool. V for Vendetta. It Sweet. is Alan Moore's first or second attempt at heading a series himself. Um, he also did Miracle Man around the same time. And it is his first attempt at doing so with a character he created whole cloth. So it gets rocky at times. It is not a perfect text by any stretch of the, the word, but it is, is very formative, very seminal um, graphic novel, and um, hits on a lot of topics that still resonate today. Um, Neat. Man, when are are the states going to get like a comic anthology? Do we have comic anthologies? Is that a thing? Like where you could just like open up a book and just like read new different comics that aren't like Marvel? If we do, they're definitely, we're definitely well past that since print is dying, but um yeah (laughs) um i i don't know if we had something like that i think the best version of that might be just when new ips come out on like free comic book day that might have been what like action comics and detective comics that superman and batman appeared in were they weren't just Mm. superman for yeah for 30 pages but i don't know how long that lasted Marvel did the like tales of suspense and yeah. um tales tales of mystery I think was another one. And I know Dark Horse still does big compendium compilation things like that, but Okay. Okay. I don't know. That sounds like a that sounds like a library of congress type thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in addition to Urban Supreme, I guess we're doing an episode on the library of congress. <laughs> Indeed. Um, Okay, so this was all to say this was written during the early Thatcher administration in Britain. Alan Moore is a British author Um, and during the height of the AIDS crisis. um, So Moore wrote his observations and frustrations with that administration into his dystopian novel. 
highlighting what he recognized as fascist behavior becoming more normalized and giving him an outlet to express his anarchist beliefs. Um, the book is way more like pro anarchy than the movie, like, hmm. and like actual anarchy, not like, stop the bad yeah. like not stop like the bad guys anarchy. not like <laughs> yeah. punk rock anarchy yeah it's like very like no no order just everyone fending for themselves is um the main character's desired outcome here so let's get into it this this side by side of alan moore <laughs> and rasputin. gregory rasputin and norman <laughs> supreme is just it's- it's, it's very good. Kiss. It really is. <laughs> Echoes throughout history. <laughs> All right. So we we the the graphic novel is broken up into three books. Um, so we'll just we'll start through book one. It is called Europe After the Rain. Um, and it's kind of our gives us all our back like sort of backstory and introduction to our characters. Um, so we open. It is November fifth, nineteen ninety seven. Um, 9 p.m. Um, this book will then play out over the next couple weeks. I did not track all the dates as they appear in the in the book, but here we go. Um, we meet our POV character, Evie Hammond, a 16-year-old girl, as she gets ready to go out for her first night as a sex worker in order to make ends meet for her full-time job. Um, unfortunately, the first person she solicits is an undercover officer, police officer or a fingerman as they are called in this society oh beans uh, thank you i don't need that nope that's not great um and he calls his squad to rape and kill her as punishment for breaking the law he literally says like i'm i'm a police officer i get to exercise justice however i see fit cool. so we're gonna do whatever we want to you and then kill you gross uh, i hope if, if fleet listeners you're playing at home we're playing a game of how quickly can you become triggered um, uh, by this episode uh, terrible trigger warnings yeah. the episode she is rescued by a man in a black coat and a guy fox mask as he attacks the fingermen and kills three of them um two with knives and one with an exploding false hand that they take from him oh um, cool he, yeah he swoops evie to a nearby rooftop where they watch as the houses of parliament explode and fireworks form a v um, in the sky above the wreckage, the the V sim the V symbol will keep appearing. It is kind of a inverted anarchist symbol. Let me pull up the. Okay. Let me drop that in the show notes here. So there's the V in the show notes. Um, he also he also quotes he he makes mention of how it is Guy Fox Day, and recites the the poem for Guy Fox Day that anyone who was edgy an edgy teen in the 2000s now knows Mm -hmm. remember remember the 5th of november the gunpowder treason and plot i know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot um guy fox was a actual person from the 13th century who tried to overthrow part parliament with bombs and was arrested and failed so for a few centuries, Britain burned bonfires on the day of his arrest to celebrate not being overthrown. Um, um, question, Kyle. I don't know if you know this or not. I, I have heard before, and I'm I don't I don't know if I'm misremembering it or not. But I've heard that that's like a thing. Like British children in grade school just like learn this. Like this is a this is a staple in British it's, history. It's is like, that true? I I don't know how true it is today. Okay. It's kind of like 
I, this poem is kind of like Ring Around the Rosie, where like yeah, yeah, they'll yeah, say yeah. it and not know what it means. And then when you look sure. into what it means, it's like, oh, it's about a, a coup attempt. Where Ring Around the Rosie is like, oh, it's about people dying of the bubonic yeah. plague. Like, yeah, yeah. similar, similar yeah. cut. Um, so we cut to, we cut from this scene of them watching British Parliament blow up to the inner workings of Norse Fire, the name of the fascist party in control of London at the time of the, the novel. Uh, not gonna lie, pretty rad name. Yeah, <laughs> Nor- yeah, Norse cool. Fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, f- fascists historically pretty good on branding. So, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> if, if, you, if you're gonna force us to do the compliment sandwich. <laughs> I mean. Look, I've worked in marketing. There's that Venn diagram right. is pretty big. <laughs> pretty wide crossover in that Venn diagram. Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw a lot of names at you. Some of these people will keep reappearing. Some of them will die fairly quickly. Um, well, I'll, I'll help keep them straight as the names appear. So we meet our the leader, Adam Susan. Uh, the I, Conrad Hayer, who manages all the surveillance systems of the fascist state. Uh, the ear, Brian Etheridge, who monitor, who does like wiretapping and um, audio sense. surveillance. The nose, Eric Finch, um, is kind of head uh, head detective, he, um, you know, oh. sniffing out clues. The nose, get it? Okay. Uh, Finch is an important name that keeps coming back. Um, we are also introduced to the head of the Fingerman, Derek Almond, another uh, name who comes back. Um, okay. The leader. Finch and Almond are probably the three most important out of that. There's not a tongue. There is a me- there's, the a the, there's a voice. There's a voice. There's a voice and a mouth which we will meet. In oh a little yeah, bit. there's a because she's she works for the news station in the movie, yeah right? yeah yeah yeah. Okay. Got it. Um. So the leader instructs Almond to meet with Jordan Dascombe, head of the propaganda wing of Norse Fire, which is the the mouth is the propaganda wing. Um, and we also meet Louis Prothero, the voice of fate who reads the hourly propaganda briefings on the radio. Um, it's revealed here that Prothero collects dolls and is likely a closeted gay man. It's also hinted that Dascombe is as well, um, but in that like 80s way where like they're not going to outwardly say it. Sure. Um, sure. And Almond re- reacts negatively negatively to the, to the information that uh, Prothero is probably gay. Just to kind of show where everyone's values in this fascist state lie. Got it. Um, We cut to V showing Evie his lair, the shadow gallery, um, where he has collected paintings, musics, (laughs) music. It's less great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) 80s edge. Yeah. 80s edge. Um, Where he has collected paintings, music, television, broadcasts, and any works of art that he was able to after they were banned by Norse fire. Um, they have this scene where she, she comments on how beautiful the music is that's playing. And he's like, Oh, this is dancing in the street by, um, by, Oh, I had the name and I lost it, man. Um, David Lee Roth. Nope. Not that one. Not that dancing (laughs) in the street. The original, the Motown version. Is it the one by the Jaggers? Nope. Oh, Um, that's not the Supremes, is it? No, it's someone in the Vandells. It's been covered a thousand times. Martha and the Vandellas. Ma- 
Martha and the Vandellas. Um, v for Vandella. Got it. There. there yep. There it is. It's, it's all full circle. <laughs> um, I'm glad that's what's going to stay in the edit. <laughs> got it. Um, and Evie, Evie comments that she's never heard such beautiful music before. And uh, to which V responds something along the lines of, they eradicated some cultures more efficiently than others. Um, impl- implying a white supremacist bent to Norse fire um, mm-hmm. and implying that uh, and because he comments how it's Motown and how it's a it's a, a black yeah, artist movement. Much like and, marketing departments, those Venn diagrams are pretty. <laughs> just, pretty just real overlap yeah. in here. <laughs> um, v then leaves Evie in, in the shadow gallery to go kidnap Louis Prothero, um, killing two men he was traveling li- with. And leaving a Violet Carson rose at the crime scene, which um, have been thought to be extinct since the war, quote unquote. <laughs> Is that capital W, the war? Capital T, capital W, the war. Man, those, um, air quotes, those air quotes are doing a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> well, we'll come back to the war here. Um, but he leaves that rose and he paints his V symbol in the train where he like kills these guys and kidnaps uh, Prothero. Um both the rose and the V painting being his calling cards. He'll proceed to leave those clues at every, um, every crime scene he leaves. Um, we see Prothero wake up in a recreation of a concentration camp where he worked as commander as Evie back in the shadow gallery exposits how the war happened from her point of view. Um, in, in what is now classic Morian fashion, it is an alternate history um, where Robert, where JFK is still president in 1988 when when this happens, <laughs> of um, course it's the JFK assassination. Yeah. Okay. Why, why, why every time? Why, why can there only be one unifying nexus event? <laughs> so good. Um, so in 1988, when Evie was seven, the U.S. and the Soviet Union enter a nuclear war after the Soviets Im- invade Poland. Uh, The nuclear crisis leaves the world in a nuclear winter, leading to famine, drought, flood, and disease in the UK specifically. Um, Moore said, in in the version of the graphic novel I have, he wrote a, Moore wrote a little like foreword where he says like, at the time, I I operated under the assumption that we would survive a nuclear war of that degree. I now have since learned we would not and would change my (laughs) writing accordingly. So... um, it's it's what they thought in 81 when he wrote it. Um, so in 1991, Evie's mom died of a plague that had spread as a result of the drought, famine, and, and flood. Um, and as conditions worsened, uh, the UK became a, a failed state, overrun with gangs trying to hoard and steal the remaining resources. In 1992, a militant group called Norse Fire formed and violently eradicated these gangs and formed a government supported by the people of the UK for restoring order to this, like, wasteland. Once in power, they took, quote, all the black people and the Pakistanis, white people too, all the radicals and and men who liked other men, end quote, to concentration camps. Um, in 1993... Evie's dad was taken for belonging, was taken to a camp for belonging to a socialist party before the war. And she was put into f- to forced labor where she worked for four years before the events at the start of the book. 
kind of catching us up on the war and Evie's experience with it. So as far as I recollect, it's pretty close to the movie so far, yeah? Pretty close to the movie so far. The movie um, is set in... So this is set in 1997. The movie is set in 2020. And the inciting incident is not a war, but a viral pandemic that takes yeah. it, spreads over the globe. So yeah, I remember that. Awesome. A tad different. <laughs> um, but more they, or less... They did a they did a what if the 80s were... To, what if this were today kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. More or less, more or less similar, though. Um, we'll cover the differences at the end cool. between the okay. two. Um, so we cut back to Prothero, who is wandering around this recreation of the Lark Hill Resettlement Camp, which is a recurring setting in the story. Um, again, he was a commander here. Um, and V tells him that he was at the camp with him as a prisoner. And remembers how he lined prisoners up every day to choose one to execute or torture. And remembers that he also worked the ovens at this camp. Um, v, there's a scene of V with, um, ha- he had previously lined up all of Prothero's dolls in like prison camp clothes in in the f- fake prison yard of this um <laughs> concentration camp it's all very dramatic he he gives a whole speech to evie before he sets out how how um drama melodrama is very important to achieving his goals apparently these things have to mean something (laughs) yes they have to mean something um and then v leads prothero down a hall of rooms each labeled with uh five doors each labeled with a roman numeral one through five stopping at number five the letter V. Um, I remember. I remember the most. This so vividly. This reveal in the movie. Oh yeah. Like it was just. Just the like. <gasps> <laughs> it happens in like in like the second act. Late like later in the yeah, movie, it's, right? It's way later. It's yeah. Very like one of the first things we learn here. Um, so stopping at door number five, V reveals to Prothero that this was his room where he was experimented on. And he remembers hearing Prothero's voice um, out through the door. Uh, V then, like, turns a light to the ovens of the concentration camp, which are packed full of more of Prothero's dolls. And he, like, turns the oven on, burning all the dolls in a very dramatic image. And we cut away to finding Prothero's body outside the police station, his face painted like a doll, eyes like staring off into the middle distance and he is unable to speak except saying the word mama over and over like like a doll um um descom and and um comments like oh he's not going to be able to be the voice of fate anymore the people are going to notice this change and um it will weaken our our position having this having faltered so so this is k- kind of revealing like V's whole plan. Like he's going to piece by piece take down these institutions mm-hmm. of power yeah. um, in Norse fire. Um, we get, we get a chapter of just the leader and V kind of waxing philosophic to, to no one in particular. Um, so the leader praises fascism and even says like, 
I'm a, I support fascism. What of it is like his exact wording. <laughs> big, big whoop. Want to fight about it? Yeah. <laughs> um, valuing order over freedom. Um, saying freedom and, and choice are luxuries that the world can't afford right now. Um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Megalomaniacal. Megalomaniacal. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, v talks to a, a statue of Madam Justice, the like blindfolded golden statue holding the scales on yeah. top of the Capitol building and um, blames her for falling in with fascism, sta- saying that true justice is freedom and anarchy before he blows up the statue and the roof to the Capitol building. Um, we cut back to the shadow gallery where V asks Evie to help in his next plan. And she agrees. And we cut to Westminster Abbey where the bishop, the bishop has a name. I forget it. He's just the bishop, um, is giving a sermon and speaking for the state reinforces Norse fires, one race, one creed, one hope ideology. Ding. There it is. (laughs) Um, the the bishop adjourns to his chambers after the sermon and is revealed to be a, a serial pedophile. And uh, ding. And ding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, taking a teenage girl into his chambers, um, they comment how this this one today is older than he normally likes. Um, Gross. Who readers will recognize as Evie. Um, she sure. distracts the bishop, opens a window, and allows V to to sneak into the chambers. Can um Kyle, can we just real quick, I have a question. So yeah. how did Evie get where did like how did Evie get into cahoots with V? he he literally saved her from okay. those cops right, and that was it. Okay, no it. no no earlier planning went into that other than he okay. saved her and she had nowhere else to go now. Okay. So she opens a window. We see V slip into these chambers. And we cut to um, Almond and Finch investigating the the bishop's chambers as a crime scene. Where they find another V spray painted on the wall and a Violet Carson rose. Um, They scan recordings from this crime scheme from the crime scene and learn that V forced the bishop to take a poisoned communion wafer after forcing the bishop to reveal how he knows we how he knows V, how he worked as chaplain at the Lark Hill concentration camp, and um, getting him to talk about V's escape from the camp, where um, revealing that V started like a chemical fire and uh, released mustard gas throughout the camp, oh. allowing him as his cover to escape. Mm. Um, v is much less heroic in the book yeah. than he is in the movie. The movie right. the vo- movie yeah. makes it very clear like good versus evil where the the book does a pretty good job of having you question the whole time like do these ends really justify the means? Sure. Um, yeah, he's he's very much just on a revenge rampage. It, yeah. It is it is vendetta like vendetta is the key yeah, word yeah, here you know like yeah, that yeah, kind of gets left out of the yeah. the movie yeah. like it's it's more a cool word they use in the movie um a forensic investigator shows up dr surridge um she'll be she becomes a, a character we need to know and she tells finch that even though the bishop was poisoned the official cause of death was a knife wound um 
I don't know. It was... It doesn't have... I don't know the significance of that, but it's there. Uh, Evie tells... Evie, we cut back to the shadow gallery where Evie tells V she will not be taking part in any future killings of his. Um, to which V replies with more pontificating on the virtues of anarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Guy's a little insufferable, huh? Yeah, man. He's a little insufferable. Yeah. Um, we see Almond. We cut to Almond in his home taking his frustration with V's killings and escaping um, out on his wife, hitting her and firing and he like fires an unloaded gun at her too. Um, he's not, he's not a good dude. He's not a good dude. Um, Finch then connects the dots between Lark Hill, Prothero, the Bishop and V and realize that V has been killing off everyone who worked at the Lark Hill uh, concentration camp over the past four years okay. um more or less undetected until now i feel like that should have been some like a through line that someone should have picked up on <laughs> should have yeah, yeah should right. have um as he realize as he comes to this realization he realizes dr surridge is going to be v's next victim and rushes out of his home to go um like save her pull her into protective custody or something at this same time we see v sneak into the doctor's home uh she immediately recognizes v and like breaks down into tears and apologizes for everything she helped facilitate at lark hill uh she led the experiments on those five in those five rooms um she asks him to see his face one more time and takes his mask off of him and calls him beautiful before he injects her with poison. And he um, and then Almond shows up and he kills Almond as he escapes as well. So um, he hmm. kills off Almond and the doctor here. Um, it's important to note, we have not seen V's face at this point, nor have we as she sees it. I don't think we see it throughout the whole okay. comic. Sure. Um, do we know why is it is that a revealed later it's just it's implied that the experiments disfigured him in some way or the fires he set disfigured him in some way but it is never spelled out he's got phantom of the opera he's got phantom of the opera face yeah (laughs) yeah um so finch finch reporting to the leader um is um let me back up here Finch goes to Finch. We cut to Finch investigating the crime scene at the doctor's house. Um, He is with the leader now as these killings have been deemed like political and more important. And he is reading from Dr. Surridge's diary starting in 1993, covering her time at Lark Hill. She writes that she conducted hormone treatments on quote unquote subhumans am imprisoned at the concentration camp and describes the results, which are typically physical deformities. One prisoner in room five seemed unaffected by the treatments until he had a psychotic break, after which he showed an increased intelligence. Um, For some reason, the guards believed him to be harmless. He was, you know, very eloquent and like talking with them. So they let him out into the, into the garden where he doubled like the crop output of this prison garden <laughs> okay. and and he grew 
uh, the he started growing these violet Carson roses that he is now using as his calling card. Oh. Um, he, yeah. So she that's how she like knew knew he was coming for her because she saw the reports on the the roses. Um, he secretly he also secret secretly grew what he needed to make a napalm type material and mustard gas in the garden, uh, which he then used to escape. Finch remarks that V probably left the diary himself, wanting to, like, explain his motives. Um, and they note that any identifying information about him has been ripped out. Um, it's all gone. It's all gone. Convenient. And they and they say it in the super fashy way of, like, so we don't know if he's gay or Jew or a Jew or black or whatever. And, like, yeah, right. yeah, mm. yeah. And that's the end of book one. Hey, cool. I have a question. Right. Yeah. Um. I have not watched this movie in a decade, 16 years. <laughs> um, can anyone, all of you, some of you tell me like how much of this is in the movie, like where we are at, if this is all still in the movie. Um, this... I guess I'm just, I'm just curious if the movie covers like the whole arc of the books or if it's like the movie is just this one book and they summed it up nicely. Everything I spell out more or less is in the movie. They change okay. some, there are names that swapped. Not all these names are the same and some characters and story arcs get removed for time's okay. sake. I more or less don't cover the stories that don't appear in the movie because they showed up, they show up late and I forgot to, I didn't put the, the groundwork in the early chapters where they needed to be and they mm -hmm. don't super matter to like the overall theme of the plot, okay. but it is all there. Um, yeah, I give I, or take. I'm gonna pretend that I actually only asked that question for our listeners who may be wondering how much of this content makes it from book to movie. If you don't want to read, you can get the the vibe <laughs> from the movie. Um, right. and, but we will cover at the end again where the movie fails to capture the essence of the book. If I'm remembering correctly, I think right now the biggest departure is probably with the Evie character because I remember Natalie Portman's character being sufficiently older than 16. I mean, she was living yes. by herself with working a full-time job. Yes. That is... I also remember Prothero being a much different character. He wasn't like a villain. That is possible. Um, Evie, Evie is definitely given more agency and more control yeah. in the movie. She she is kind of carried from plot point to plot point in the book. Right. And she is like goes through the same beats, but it it's more her call than it is in the book. Um which we're gonna cover some right now. Um so we go to book two, a vicious cabaret. Um this opens on January 5th, 1988, so about so a few months after the events of the first book, Evie, we see Evie and V in the shadow gallery, and she asks V why he's never pursued her romantically, questioning his sexuality or even suggesting that he's her father. Since the fifty-fifty, since the okay. timelines, um, a lot of swings sort of right lineup, a lot of right. swings. Yeah, it's gonna be one or the other. Yeah. V responds by blindfolding her, leading her out into the streets. Telling her that he's not her father, uh, that her father is in fact dead, and then abandons her. 
Well, that's just the way my father would react. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he like says like, "I'm not your father." He is in fact dead, and then then Evie just hears like silence and event like waits for a, for a, a while and finally removes her blindfold and is like, "Wait, he's gone. Where am I?" Um, so super super dick move on V's part. Um. We see Rosemary Almond at her husband's funeral, realizing, and she has the realization that she is now alone, has no support. Um, she is now a new kind of main character, another through line that keeps appearing through the rest of the books. Um, at the same time, we see V sneak into a Norse Fire propaganda studio and take over its broadcast. On the broadcast, V tells the viewers that they are guilty of allowing dictators to come to power and turning a blind eye to their abuses and prejudices and uses footage of Hitler and Mussolini from World War II um, next to images of modern-day Norse fire to really drive home his point. I'm glad we um, checked the victim-blaming box. Yes, <laughs> sure are. Uh, Fingerman storm the studio and shoot V only to reveal that it was he had actually kidnapped and bound and gagged uh, Jordan Dascombe and put him in V's costume to sit in the chair while a recording played. So they killed their head of propaganda, uh, thinking it was V. Nice. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, we jump ahead a little, and we see Evie struggling with V's abandonment. Uh, she has turned to alcoholism as a coping mechanism. Um, she now lives with a man named Gordon who controls a small street gang and works in kind of black market smuggling. Uh, that's who I was thinking was Prothero. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. This... I remember the, the guy, he was like the John Stewart guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is, Gordon is very different than the, um, the movie yeah, portrayal. The movie Gordon. Uh, the movie Gordon works for the, for the, um, studio yeah. and yeah. kind of does it. He does a whole like. Um, uh, satire of the leader and then gets killed in the yeah. none of that is in this um, he is generally pretty kind to her even though he's a criminal um, and they eventually enter a relationship before he is killed by a rival crime boss uh, the crime boss has a name is also a recurring character but ultimately like can be left out of the plot synopsis and you don't miss a ton. So James Crimeman. James Crimeman. <laughs> um Evie goes to a nightclub that is controlled by this rival crime boss, hoping to exact some kind of revenge. And we see um Rosemary Almond is there now working as a dancer at this nightclub to show how far her life has fallen. Um while waiting outside for one of her potential victims to separate from the group. She is knocked unconscious by uh, the police, by a man in a police officer's uniform. Uh, we cut to Evie in a, in a very dream state from being knocked unconscious. She sees images of her home, her father, Gordon, the bishop, and eventually V um, before she wakes up in a prison cell. Guards play her the video of her like soliciting the, the fingermen at the beginning of the book. Um, telling her she's going to jail unless she tells them who she's working with. And they torture her, shave her head, and generally do all the prison-y, concentration-y camp things one would do um, as a prisoner of the fascist state. 
Um, she spends a lot of time alone in her cell as a prisoner would. Um, and she eventually like sees this rat coming and going enough from her cell room that she goes to investigate where it's coming from and finds a hole in her cell with a testimony written by a former prisoner of Norse fire named Valerie. Um, she read, we get a, a whole chapter of the book is, um, Evie reading Valerie's like written out testimony that she smuggled away. Uh, Valerie came out as a lesbian when she was a teenager and was shunned immediately shunned by her family. Uh, she attended acting school and became an actress and starred in a movie where she met her partner, Ruth. Uh, she remembers Ruth used to bring her roses and that they were very happy until Norse fire captured her for being uh, a gay woman. Ruth gave up Valerie's name while being tortured, leading to Valerie's eventual capture, um, and writes that people can preserve their freedom even when imprisoned by maintaining their integrity. Theme of the book. Written out. Right. Theme yep, of the yep. book right there. There cool. it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, later, when Evie is being interrogated slash tortured, uh, she remembers Valerie's letter and refuses to admit... Um, to confess to any of the crimes they are trying to like pin on her or get her to admit um, specifically that she was brainwashed by V to participate in these killings, asserting that she assisted him willingly um, just standing by her, her man, I guess um, they tell her you can see thinking I, of that scene in golden in golden eye. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't call me out like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, they they tell her she can either sign this quote-unquote confession they have written out for her, or she can die, and she says, well, then just kill me. And um, they th she is then told they have nothing left to threaten her with and that she is free. Um, similar to when she was abandoned in the street, she takes a while to like look up and look around her, and she finds that the guards that were in the room with her were in fact just dummies, and the prison f facility she was in was just a recreation within the shadow gallery, not unlike the concentration camp V had made for Prothero. Um, kind of fucked up. Pretty fucked well, yeah. up. Yeah. Pretty uh, fucked up. Yeah, V had orchestrated this whole kidnapping, torture thing, but does tell her that Valerie was a real person and does tell her... Um, and tells her that the reason he did this was it was the only way he could teach her what it means to be free and to truly free her from the the chains of society or whatever. Um, it's not great. It's sucks. <laughs> super it's sucks. Super sucks. Mm -hmm. Sucks. Um, yeah. Um, but she is now free from the mindset of that fascism and government in general uh, impose on her it it sucks for a lot of reasons but mo more predominantly it sucks because it implies that the only difference between fascism and freedom is intent yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah and um i, I th i'm pretty sure from what i've read collecting stuff for this alan moore is the first to admit that he he uh was a very green writer at the time 
and right. yeah and i mean it's a cool that one. twist <laughs> it's a cool twist it just like it it is very weird i can't, but again like it actually i've all it's i've always struggled with it with the movie like i think that's like a real a real low point in the movie like it's really well acted by natalie portman obvi yeah but like it's really out of that character's personality for the movie as a hero but like You've kind of painted this character as a really shitty person, so it's not incredibly it, off-brand. It makes yeah. more sense in the book than it does yeah. in the movie because the movie goes so far out of its way to paint V as a heroic person, yeah. where the book very much is like, well, he does. he's also like killing a lot of people for the fun of killing people just right. like the fascist government yeah is. like, like if, yeah. if your if your aim is to paint him as the absolute foil of the leader then this is a very good job of doing yes that. yes yeah. and that is again where the book handle like handles it with a little more, with more nuance yeah. than the movie does okay All yeah right. i'm back in i'm back in okay let's go yeah, we're I'm back, back on <laughs> um well good news because we're cutting to a break so <laughs> Got y'all back on board. Um, we are going to take a quick break, um, and we will be right back with the third book of the of the graphic novel and to talk about the movie. From the nerds at Debate This comes a new streaming experience. Last year, we launched The Plus is Loose, a podcast where we dove into plot details, Easter eggs, and wild speculation into 2021's breadth of new MCU content. And we're still going to do that, we're just changing some things. Coming to Twitch this March, a show that asks the real questions. Kyle, why are you talking like that? Yes, anyway, starting with the release of Moon Knight on March 30th, we will be streaming our MCU post-show at twitch.tv slash debatethiscast. Episodes will still be posted on the same podcast feed a day later. So just like when Mephisto... What? No, no, we're, we're not going to talk about Mephisto anymore. Yeah, unless he actually shows up. Bringing you the best recaps of the MCU, and only the MCU. Uh, well, that's not entirely true. Yeah, we talked about this, bud. Uh, we're we're gonna cover other stuff, too. Yeah, all kinds of comic book TV shows and movies, just like that Jared Leto movie Morbius that's definitely coming out. Yeah, and we're also gonna have special guests to tell us what they thought of the thing we watched. Got Guys, I'm sorry. I I screwed this whole thing up. I'll just go. No, Kyle, no, it's okay. We still need someone to reveal the new name. Yeah, why don't you do it? Yeah? You mean it? Yeah, yeah go on ahead. Coming this March to Twitch. Look out for Avenge This, a comic book movie and television discussion show where we watch all of the MCU stuff and also some of the DC stuff that we want to watch. You can watch Avenge This live at twitch.tv slash debatethiscast or download episodes through the Avenge This podcast feed wherever you download podcasts. Hey, nice. there, there you go. go. Super duper. Uh, and we're back. Um, we're going to talk about the rest of the graphic novel and the movie. So we're going to kick that off with book three, which is titled The Land of Do As You Please, which um, is a phrase taken out of v's earlier one of v's earlier pontificatings on the merits of um anarchism it's like one of the metaphors he uses is this mythical <laughs> land where you can do whatever you want 
it's it's eighties it's eighties edge all the way it's, down, baby. Yeah. It is eighties edge. You're hundred percent right. <laughs> um, so this one opens on November fifth, nineteen ninety eight, one year after the book's opening events. Uh, v tells Evie that his plan is coming to an end, and then blows up the state's surveillance systems. Um, he hijacks the state broadcast and. Um, under the guise of the voice of fate, tells the populace that they won't be watched or listened to for three days and are free to do what they want. Um, smash cut to chaos in the in London streets as people loot, riot, and generally revolt against their fascist oppressors. Uh, we get a good scene of the leader starting to break down and trying to confide in his supercomputer, his like AI supercomputer wife which i guess becomes a trope after this i'm sorry wait <laughs> has that been there the whole time sorry. it's it is he he has had a an ai that he's like about you know like it's, it's it's like a google elect it's like an alexa essentially yeah yeah, yeah. and at okay. this point he is so distraught over losing control that he is talking to his alexa as though okay. it is a loving partner who supports him and not a like advanced uh, search function. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, we've talked about super powered AI wives before. I need <laughs> Umbrella Academy. So. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, um, so the leader is losing his grip on, on sanity and orders that all these, all these looters and rioters are shot on site. Uh, v explains to Evie. Feels bad. Yeah, V V goes into another um, pontificating moment and explains to Evie that this chaos will eventually subside on its own and will give way to voluntary order, and that true anarchy is a coalition of equals without leaders. So we get it's, it's just the purge. I mean, we have the purge mm. going on. Yeah, and then it'll all be fine. People yep. just got to get it out of their system. They just got to get it out of their system. Um, we see or whatever it is the purge has been trying to tell us for six movies. <laughs> I don't. It's hard to. I think they lost the thread there somewhere halfway through the first one. Yeah, um, somewhere it just became crime. The movie. Yeah. Now, are there more Guy Fox masks in the purge movies than this one, <laughs> or less? There. The answer I, may surprise they, you. Yeah, right. <laughs> Todd, run I've the numbers seen... on that for us and uh, and get Listen, back to I've us. I've seen I've seen zero purge movies, but there's got to be. A uh, Guy Fox. There's de- there's definitely one Guy Fox mask purge. per Purge movie, and I'm they thought it was it. a cute Easter egg they put in yep. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I refuse to believe it's zero. Mm-hmm. It's definitely more than zero. All right, nerds, get in the comments. <laughs> Let us know. Um, so we see Finch, the 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 nose of the fate, uh, goes to Lark Hill, and he takes LSD to try and get into the mind of V. Um. While <laughs> while tripping, he has visions of people burning in the ovens and hanging off a barbed wire and and sees the diversity of the victims was actually beautiful and necessary. So he has a full kind of conversion thanks now, to his acid trip at now this, this concentration this camp. This is the 80s, <laughs> yeah, right. ass thing, doing drugs to understand <laughs> racism. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and and after this real, realization, and while still tripping balls, he apologizes to all the victims of, of this concentration camp and hopes they know he loves them. 
Um, quote. What an interesting turn. Unquote. <laughs> yeah. Um, he finds himself imprisoned in V's cell. And as he comes down from the trip, he now realizes he is free from Norse fire's lies. Um, and that he still wants to bring V to justice for all the murders. So he's a good cop now. Ah, yes. And all it took was one hallucinogenic. <laughs> all it took was one good trip. I was yeah, waiting for this me. to take a spin into wild fantasy, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of stuff happens with side characters that that isn't really super worth talking about. Um, but Finch encounters V in a subway tunnel um, and shoots him. He you know, corners him in a subway tunnel, tells him he's going to pay for his crime and, and shoots him. Uh, but V manages to escape and tells him the the big quote of the movie, you can you cannot kill the idea that I represent. You can kill the man, but you can't kill the idea, um, the the thesis of the movie more than the book. But there it is. Um, we also see Rosemary Almond shoot the leader at um, I have a protest rally here. It's it's definitely more a, like riot slash protest and she shoots the leader while um, armed forces are trying to put down the rioters. Um, v, bleeding, dying, goes to Evie and tells her that the people's new task is to, quote, rule themselves, and tells her that her mission is to now, quote, discover the true face behind the mask. Um, it's a metaphor. She realizes uh, that V is meant to represent the desire for freedom in everyone. Um, they kiss, and she dons his costume yeah. and Guy Fox mask and goes out to the rioters, addressing them, telling them that they can now choose freedom over the chains of government. Um, in the prologue, we see Evie send V's body um, often a subway car loaded with explosives and blows up Downing Street, representing the final destruction of the remaining government. Uh, she we she takes to the streets and saves a protege, much like V saved her at the beginning of the book, and sets off a, down a dark alley, presumably continuing V's work of showing the populace how to free themselves. Uh, thus, the cycle continues. Look. Endings. <laughs> endings, endings are, are hard, hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah okay so that's v for vendetta the graphic novel as written by alan moore what do you guys I think liked that <laughs> i think yeah. i think okay so i didn't know going into this that there was a graphic novel like i you thought we were talking about was, the movie today. Yes, I super, super mm -hmm. did. Um, yes. And this sounds like a story that probably comes across a little bit better as a graphic novel because you don't have to yeah. you don't have to convince people to sit through a two-hour movie in a theater with a graphic novel, right? So like you don't have to make V come off as this morally gray character you can just have him be pure anarchy and i think that it's a cool examination of that i would definitely be interested in reading a graphic novel do you know offhand who illustrated it kyle um it is illustrated by let me scroll back up to the top here david lloyd who cool. i i noted hasn't done much more than this right on 
yeah he's, i mean you know been a he's been an artist on some minor comic runs but this is pretty much his biggest claim to fame yeah i think that if i and not to say that i didn't enjoy the movie i know we're gonna talk about the movie and i did enjoy it but i think that i probably would have enjoyed a graphic novel of this story more than i enjoyed the movie the graphic novel is actually very good um it takes this story that sounds very silly and and edgelordy um and does elevate it to something a little more than that it is still very silly and edgelordy at times but um intentionally so and in a way that is much more palatable i think if the handmaid's tale is sonic the hedgehog v for vendetta is shadow the hedgehog (laughs) (laughs) okay explain yes please so i think the hand so i couldn't help but like the whole time i'm thinking why am why do i feel like i've heard this story like a thousand times before and i think it's because it it does run very closely to the handmaid's tale in a lot of ways uh, because Handmaid's Tale, do you guys have you guys seen Handmaid's Tale? Mm-hmm. I have yeah. not. Oh yeah, no. Kyle yeah. Has, Kyle and Tata. Yeah, they're, I mean, they both deal with the fascist state. Like this is the British version of like our um, Handmaid's Tale is a very American version of yes. that story, which is like yes, it would be much more religious based. It would be much more like oppressive in a different way. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um. But I both, think both written during the eighties. The original um, both, both, Margaret exactly, Atwood both, novel was both written, written during the eighties. Base, the, but the the big difference there is one was written by man, one was written by woman, and yep. I think yeah. the way that Margaret Atwood wrote it was like people are going to to devolve to their basest instinct, but those those base instincts are a lot different. Yes, me Margaret Atwood believes I believe that those base instincts are a lot different than what Alan Moore believes because Alan Moore's thing is, is like hyperviolence and whatever, and like everyone's just going to murder each other, but like. I like the take that it like it actually is a lot more sinister than that, which like feels bad. And and I'm struggling because I think if you would have asked me five years ago, I'd been like, this is really cool. And like five years ago, I read um, his other big uh, Watchmen, which I yeah. really enjoyed when I read it. I think like with the state of the where the state of the world is in right now and the fact that like we are so close to basically having a fascist party and not to get super but, like. <laughs> It just like my brain, like I think I'm trying to protect myself from this present day trauma. Yeah, and, like I'm yeah. trying to make myself not like this because I I can't I can't do it right now. I, I guess is where I'm at. When I read this during the lockdown portion of the pandemic, I had to like stop myself at one point from saying because I was saying it too often. Well, that echoes yeah. a little too loudly to something. Yeah. That, you know, that feels yeah. a little too, that, that echoes a little too loudly. That feels a little too similar. Like, um, cause it is, again, he based this off of, um, of Margaret Thatcher's administration of when she yep. ruled. And, um, a lot of what we're, a lot of the stuff we can comment on now, if we choose to echoes the Reagan and Thatcher administration a lot. Um, without getting too into it. So that is why it feels so prescient and why you're the most annoying high school kid you know took so 
took so um, quickly to it because it isn't subtle. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's a really well put. The subtlety is not there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, think- and that's intentional. Like, it, mm-hmm. it was the 80s. Subtlety wasn't a word artists used a lot at the time. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just to touch back on that, too, like... One of my, I would say, favorite genres of media is 80s apocalypse because the idea of the apocalypse. <laughs> Here in it the is, 80s, man. <laughs> yeah, right? It's uh, there's just something that's like, you know, almost kind of quaint about the apocalyptic ideas of the 80s because it was a, such a different time 40 years ago and where people thought the world was going to go, you know, followed a lot of science fiction influence, but there wasn't a ton. Mm-hmm of apocalyptic media before the 80s that was really a genre born out of yeah. the late 70s and yeah. early 80s i mean cold war the cold war and the first atomic bomb dropping really birthed a lot of apocalyptic fiction yeah all right yeah. so counter or second question follow-up question matt where does this sit in the pantheon of brave new world and 1984 and fahrenheit 451 and other 80s apocalypse mediums yeah man that's a good question i would definitely like to read it before i put it on that list 1984 is um or i'm sorry brave new world is my favorite of those ones yeah brave Um, new world's very good because again brave new world and 1984 get compared a lot and those very much are the british a british story versus an american story again right yeah yeah fahrenheit 451 being the american story yeah um yeah Am I, do I get that right? Yeah, because that's Bradbury's. Ray Bradbury. American, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. American author. Yeah. Yeah. So it is interesting, but I agree with what you said, Andrew. Like, there was a point for me late 2020, early 2021, where, like, I've said on this show enough times, my favorite stuff are apocalypse and zombies. And there hit a point in our global pandemic where I was like, I just can't anymore. No. Like, I cannot. Yeah. Yeah. I have loved zombie apocalypse for so long and I cannot think about it right now. So even as a a lover of the genre, I think the last, I don't know, six or so years of trauma that we have experienced as the Royal, we have put a much different spin on these things, especially stuff coming from the eighties that was written when the apocalypse was certainly an idea born out of the cold war but didn't have as many tangible hands as it does now what with the climate changes and the political yeah. divisions and such well and by the by the 80s and 90s um similar similar to how we see uh criticism of capital capitalism um commercialized now Apocalypse media was very commercialized by this time as well, too. Absolutely, um, yeah. Which takes some of the bite out of it. I will say, before we go on to the movie, um, the graphic novel definitely wears its 1984 inspiration on its sleeve. Um, When I was rereading it now, because I had read 1984 in between my first reading and this reading, Mm, um, just smacked me in the face of like oh more more 1984 inspiration great great um is it 1984 anti-socialist though that's is that 1984 is my thinking of animal farm um they're both anti-authoritarian yeah animal farm's a little Mm -hmm. more anti-capitalist 
Yeah, um, absolutely. George Orwell was a socialist. Um, he believed okay. he believed in socialism. Um, 1984 is anti-authoritarian, anti-totalitarian. Okay. Okay. Um, so it is still criticism of like the Soviet Union. Okay. But it. Thank you for. But it is me on that. more than that. Um, yeah. Um, I will also say, and I don't have any specific examples, but the other thing I noticed while reading this is a lot of 90s edgy artists definitely took their v, their inspiration from V for Vendetta. <laughs> huh. and um, But it wasn't a well-known property at the time. It was like it had this cult following and was known among like comic book fans, but it wasn't a blockbuster movie yet. Um, but if you, that is where I realized like some, some threads poking out from media. I remember growing up with was like, Oh, that was, that's an interesting tie back to V for Vendetta now. So, um, it has been very influential even before the movie spawned the, the Guy Fox mask industry. Um, and it, (laughs) (laughs) and it takes its inspiration. It makes its inspirations very well known as well. Um, it's a very interesting, like, you know, I, I sound very critical of it. It's definitely worth reading. It's a very, like, good look into what early Alan Moore, how early Alan Moore writes. Um, yeah. If you liked The Watchmen, you will like you will like V for Vendetta. You just got to kind of climb that edge hill to mm-hmm. before you can fully buy in. But once you get over the edge hill, it's it's a pretty good read. Um, speaking of inspiration, I don't know if you saw this in your in your research or not, Kyle. Does does is it safe to assume that this property is also the source of inspiration for the anonymous people oh, using the, the Guy Fox mask? They're one and the same. Um, okay. The movie came out in two thousand five, and the and like the anonymous Guy Fox mask trend immediately followed. It, there, so that's that's all this. That 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 trend is. When I said launched the Guy Fox mask industry, I was not no, joking. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the movie now. Um, in 2005, a movie based on the graphic novel was released under the same name. It, I swapped, it's directed by James McTighe, um, who I didn't recognize a lot of his, his directing cre- credits. He was a assistant director on Star Wars Attack of the Clones and most of the Wachowski films of the early 2000s. Okay. It was written by the Wachowskis. Um, this was their follow-up mm-hmm. project to the Matrix trilogy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it stars Natalie Portman as Evie Hammond, Hugo Weaving as V, um, John Hurt as the leader, and Stephen Fry is a character in that that is not in the books, but is based loosely on a combo of is based loosely on um Descom. um that's the notable cast um it more or less follows the plot i outlined with some names and dates changes it's set like i said earlier it's set in 2020 instead of 1997 and the inciting incident for norse fires takeover isn't nuclear war but global viral pandemic um Sorry, everyone. Um, It it replaces Moore's criticism with Thatcherism, with a more pointed criticism of the Bush administration, and sets the main conflict um, more clearly as 
American ne- American liber- liberalism versus American neoconservatism rather than anarchy versus tyranny. Uh, v, is, v is more clearly depicted as good and the leader more clearly as evil rather than the shades of gray that they are in the book. And it loses some of the subtlety in the depictions of the fascist state. Um, however, Evie has more agency as an adult um, and, and you know, makes more decisions rather than is just like, good job, you have passed my test. You may You will now carry on my legacy, but like, takes an active role in in her um in not unbecoming a victim so to speak um it, and like we said earlier the gordon character is completely different he's not a criminal he works he's like a a resistance force within the propaganda wing and is killed because of that rather than like um circumstantial gang violence uh, the movie led to the adoption of the Guy Fox mask as a symbol of anonymous opposition <laughs> to oppressive forces. And we can talk about that more if we want, but we've talked about it a little already. Um, I feel like anonymous goes from being this thing that's dumb and everyone hates to like, then you'll hear them take down like Russian propaganda sites and you're like, Oh, all right. My understanding what you're doing over there. My understanding of anonymous is that it is not, it's not an agency it's not a like central force so anyone can do anything and can come and claim anonymous did it so your annoying high schooler who who you know fished the password to their school's website and changed the banner to say principal johnson is a bag of farts can claim that as an act of anonymous. Anonymous struck again anonymous struck again much like the the like professional white hat mm-hmm. hackers who did in fact like take down the the like kgb infrastructure infrastructure for a day or two chaotic both control yeah pure chaotic neutral. <laughs> pure yeah, chaotic sure. neutral um alan moore claims he has not seen the movie and after um not liking adaptations of from hell and the league of extraordinary gentlemen refuses Ooh. all credit and royalties from uh the v for vendetta film yeah, Interesting. The of extraordinary yeah. gentleman was forgettable. He, I, that's I. Yeah. We're not here to talk about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen today, but I really <laughs> like that movie. Although I would say it is weird to tie V for Vendetta to the sins of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen graphic novel is very vastly different than the movie. Um, uh, that where they where they're again similar thing. They're not as heroic as the movie would have you believe. Um, and it's just the the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen graphic novel, from my understanding, I have not read it, is weird. Is just really weird in the it's it's very Alan Moore. Like more huh. Alan Moore than anything else, almost anything else he's done. I uh, I found a listicle article or listicle <laughs> online just talking about all of the movies that have been ad- adapted by Alan Moore's work and what he has said about them. He hates them all. Huh. He yeah, he hates them all. Uh, he, from hell, wow. the quote is: "It had been a bad idea to watch it after all." <laughs> uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The quote is: "Quartermain's character was thrown out the window on the whim of an actor." 
um, Constantine, well, take my name off of it. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Constantine is also very different from the books, but yeah. but I like the Constantine movie is I think very that, yeah, fun. I mean, people, those, people have a lot of good things to say about the Constantine movie. Uh, v for Vendetta, they offended me over the V for Vendetta film. Um, what does he say here? Da, 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 he da, he was the one who I'm not going to see it. The um criticism that the conflict is like American liberalism versus neoconservatism yeah. rather than the anarchy and tyranny are his words from when I um it's yeah quote it's been turned into a Bush era parable by people too timid to set a political satire in their own country. Yep. Oh wow. Yeah. I mean he's um, not wrong. He's yeah. not wrong. He's not wrong. Again, like I said earlier, like if you're like Kyle, Kyle said it too. If your intent is to tell that story, that is not that story. No, yeah. the movie is not that story. What's he uh, say Watch, about Watchmen? Watchmen. I will also be spitting venom all over it for months to come. <laughs> Watchmen is weird in that it is very. That one is fair. It's very text accurate. Yeah, it's very context inaccurate. Did yeah. you read Watchmen, Kyle? Yes, I've read Watchmen okay. a few times, and okay. I, I like yeah. the movie too. But like, yeah, it's not it's, bad. It's very different. It misses. It misses the point. It, yeah. Did you it, Did you think this the HBO series it was closer to it, like ha- closer to having a hitting the point? Until the last like episode and a half, I okay. think so. I liked the HBO series a lot too, and it yeah. did. It was more. I mean, it's it's a completely different story, so it's hard to say. But it's like more, it more aligns with Alan Moore's intent, I think. But then, yeah, endings are hard. It doesn't, it doesn't nail the ending. I don't think. Got it. Um, um and yeah. then uh, Batman Killing Joke. He's like that either. That's uh, see, that's a that's that one's. I mean, it's different than the other ones. But it's that's it's I like different. That. It's not my favorite. Yeah. Uh, DC adap- animated adaptation of a comic story, but it's That's also fair. like it that would not have made a an hour and a, it would not have made a feature length story on its own either. I don't think because because um, mm-hmm. they add some stuff to that. They flesh it out with mm-hmm. some of their own material, and that's fine. Alan Moore um, hates Hollywood, hates any capitalistic endeavor almost entirely. Um, he, I think is currently living in some, you know, some British wilderness somewhere, um, (laughs) just cranking out the occasional graphic novel when the urge strikes him. But he's, he like has described Hollywood as a, like a, a blood God who demands living sacrifice i mean he's not uh, un- wrong unironically <laughs> has described it as that and he's not incorrect so um <laughs> he like i don't see i don't see a a film adaptation of any of his movies meeting his standards because yeah. he's a curmudgeonly old man yeah um any any closing thoughts before we wrap up guys i i like this i liked hearing about this it Again, it was a reminder that I haven't watched the movie in 16 years. Um, so it was like rewatching the movie for the first time. The movie um, was pretty critically, like, it was pretty critically acclaimed for its time. It's. Except for by Moore himself. Except for by Alan Moore. It is a very 2005 superhero movie. 
Um, and I know it, it was for a while. I mean, I think for me, it was kind of my first exposure to like, um, to a, a gay storyline that was like sympathetic and like humanizing. And I was like, and like, notable for the time because yeah. it was 2005 and it's a really um, good point yeah 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 it's kind of the valerie the valerie scene um when natalie portman is reading that letter um is very well done in the movie and i think mm-hmm. it's worth watching it for that um i think there's something to say too for like it, it being 2005 and yeah that movie definitely wears its heart on its sleeve as a bush administration red versus blue american movie yeah. But 2005, there weren't a lot of really mainstream radical movies coming out. 2005, and- we were like just we were just past Bush's reelection, and we were just starting the the like rah rah they attacked us let's kill them go America steam had worn out, and we um, were finally like critical of george bush again you guys are definitely forgetting american sweetheart uh michael moore and his scathing commentary fahrenheit 9-11 we i mean (laughs) but but that was very divisive where this was like pretty well well received at the time i I know i know yeah Uh, i mean yeah i agree that's definitely true and like so the reason that I bring this up is because I listen to a lot of mid two thousands punk rock because I'm a <laughs> trash panda. And uh, there was a lot of really heavy punk music coming out from 2000 to 2004, but not a lot of that stuff really made it to the mainstream No, outside of like green day, you know, and green days, mid two thousands albums, leave a lot to be desired it's certainly not basket case so by 2005 to have a movie like v for vendetta with a star like natalie portman in actually this was early natalie portman so i don't know if she was a big name at this point but i mean this was post this was post star wars yeah definitely so you know it's got a big name to it it i think made a lot of money in theaters um this is also post Post Lord of the Rings, Hugo and Weaving. Post Matrix. Post Matrix, yeah. Hugo Weaving, too. Yeah. Yep. So there's a lot of draw to this movie, and there wasn't a lot of bubblegum pop stuff coming out to really radicalize young people. And as a radicalized young people, I have a, a special appreciation <laughs> for that in 2005. But boy, howdy, watching this movie in 2020, it wears its 2005 on its t shirt. Yeah, that's for it darn sure. Does. Yeah. It much like we talked about this much like it is ironic that the the fascist dickheads have co-opted this property much like they've co-opted the Punisher. Um yes. co-op and they co-opted the Matrix. They co-opted another Wachowski like yeah. the red pill. Like yeah. that is a Matrix image that is r- ripped whole cloth from the Matrix and like used by people yeah. that the Wachowskis would diametrically oppose so yeah it's it's a bummer it's a bummer uh yeah the guy fox mask um was the was the original uh original joker meme for anyone who needs (laughs) that put in a 2020 context yeah Uh, the guy fox mask was the original joker meme um that's gonna do it for us today 
Um, thank you for listening to our flavor text. You can follow along with the arguments on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Debate This Cast, or on our website at debatethiscast.com. Please rate, review, and tell your friends all about us. Much like the revolution, we can only win when we break the bonds of not telling your friends about our show or something. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, thank you again to Nathan LV for helping to sponsor the show. Don't forget that you can support the show and commission your own flavor text by supporting us at patreon.com slash debate this cast. Until next time, I'm Kyle Harper. I'm Todd. People shouldn't be afraid of their government. Government should be afraid of edgy hedgehogs pursuing the master <laughs> emerald Thomas. I'm Matt. Tickets for Norsefire go on sale next Tuesday. Cole. And I'm Andrew. What if Tuxedo Mask were domestic terrorist Henderson? And we're saying thanks for debating with us. And if you think we're wrong, you can come fight us behind the swing sets, nerds. (laughs) 